Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another interview for Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Quattromani, and today we're talking a little bit about coffee. Now, hear me out. This is a technology podcast. We're going to make it relevant, but we're talking to the head of coffee science and education at Seven Miles. Now, his name is Dr. Adam Carr, and this man knows more about coffee than I think anybody I've ever spoken to in my life, not just about coffee machines, but even about the beans and the science and composition behind a good cup of coffee. Now, we talk about roasting, we talk about bean selection, but we do focus a bit around the machines because as we all know, you can get a coffee machine from $200 all the way up to say $20,000 if you really wanted to. But what really is all you need at home? What do you need to have a good cup of coffee at home? How do you get a better cup of coffee from the cafes? What are they doing differently? Adam breaks it all down for us, as well as a whole bunch of myth busting towards the end as well. So ladies and gentlemen, buckle up, grab a warm cup of coffee if you've got one, and enjoy this amazing uh, conversation with Dr. Adam Carr, the head of coffee science and education at Seven Miles. Now, Adam, at a barbecue, how do you describe to people what you do? <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I've had that. I've had a problem all my life of not being able to describe accurately what I do. <laughs> it's a it's a whole range of different things, but effectively, I taste an awful lot of coffee. I test an awful lot of coffee and technology around coffee. Um, yeah, that that's that's it, I suppose, in a nutshell. But essentially, you are the go-to man when it comes to knowing about coffee, but really understanding coffee. I think a lot of people know what coffee they like, but you actually have all the ins and outs around what's going on behind that cup of coffee as well. Yeah, look, I think the background that I have sort of has been fortuitously very, very well connected with all the mechanisms by which we get a good coffee. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's really enabled me to really quickly, you know, what's the right way of saying it? It's able to really quickly gain a good good amount of expertise in the area, and yeah, to be honest, I have a great time, you know, leveraging all that stuff that I've done in the past to sort of best inform what we do in coffee. It's it's great. It's amazing, and and actually, just on that too, I mean, how does how does somebody get into the role that you're in? I mean, head of coffee science and education at Seven Miles. It's not exactly something that at primary school you think this is the kind of career I'm heading for. How did did you just love coffee, and then you started to? understand more behind it oh man it was a i guess maybe called a story of two things happening at the same time i mean i've yeah you know i i kind of got into chemical engineering on uh you know i finished my hsc got into chemical engineering loved the degree went into high temperature high pressure water chemistry and you know i was using it for pharmaceuticals and biofuels and at the same time sort of had coffee on the side there at one point i thought hey why should why why have i never thought to combine these two things you know, together, you know, so I, I designed a new kind of um, roaster in a garage, um, built it, and then Seven Miles said, hey, well, that's pretty cool. Why don't you come work for us? And here I am. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I, I, love, I love the way that people tend to land in different in different roles or completely different careers than they might have been, you know, thinking about when they were younger. And I think if we if we jump into sort of coffee-related questions, I mean, yeah. um, I, I love my coffee. I rely on it to, to function. Um, and, a, and a lot of our listeners are probably in the same boat. But, you know, what, what puzzles me is I can go out and, and buy a bag of uh, coffee beans and I can put it into two different coffee machines, make an espresso 
and they taste different. Now, right. obviously for me, I'm, I'm in a position where I, I test coffee machines quite a bit. I review them and talk about them. Mm. Not everyone has that same experience, but I, I just have noticed that I can get the same bag of beans off the shelf and get a different flavor out of two different styles of machines or even just different brands of machines. Yep. How does that happen? Oh, man, so much goes into a cup of coffee. It's, uh, look, it, it can be anything from the way that water is injected into the coffee grounds. So, for example, automatic machines, oftentimes uh, they inject water from the bottom of the ground, so they sort of inject from bottom up, whereas traditional sort of espresso machines do top down. Uh, the, the aspect ratio of the basket can make an impact, have an impact. So, for example, how deep the bed is, how the diameter of the bed that you've, you've tamped the coffee into. You know, I mean... The list goes on. You know, the boiler material can change the water quality that comes out of the spout, and that can have an impact on the way the coffee flavors. It's you know, it's it all goes into it. Wow. Okay. So so when I, when I'm talking about just buying the standard bag of beans, yeah. you know, you can put it into five different machines and get essentially five different flavor profiles based on what's going on inside the actual machine itself, which yeah. is which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're definitely not wrong. I mean, what you're observing is is absolutely right. I mean, plenty of people had that. I mean. You know, at the same time, you know, part of what I've done in the past is looking at, you know, isolating the impact that water has on espresso flavor. And, you know, it's, it can actually be quite significant. So you put an activated carbon filter on your, on your machine, I mean, it, it should change the, the flavor slightly, but you start putting softeners on there and other things to reduce scale, for example, on your boiler. And that can have a huge impact on the, on the kind of flavors coming out. So even something as simple as the water going into your machine can change it that much. So, so just on the water piece, something I've always wondered is, is it best to use filtered water in your coffee machine or just straight from the tap is right, fine? Yes, right. Well, it depends where you live, I suppose, the answer to that question. Um, in nice. Sydney, you know, the in the Sydney sort of metro area, water's treated to be actually very, very good for your coffee in terms of the mineral balance is pretty good. It's pretty clean. Okay. Chloride's in there that can negatively affect it, but normally it's below tasting limits. So actually Sydney water from the tap generally is pretty good. Um, okay. If you were to go to somewhere like Perth or, or Adelaide, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you want to do something pretty heavy to that water because, I mean, it's got a lot of nasties in it. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and, and is there the, the other extreme that if I put a bottle of Evian in my coffee machine that I'm just going to get a bang on coffee or is it, am, am I going too far? No, not at all. I mean, in, in that sense, so it's funny, we've... We've been through this quite a lot. Actually, it's funny. We, we have the conversation. I literally just had a conversation with a, a water filter, a guy at a water filter company just before. Yeah. Um, so Evian is a, an interesting water in the sense that it's got a higher concentration of hardness minerals, so calcium, magnesium, and they tend to be very positive in terms of maximizing the extract that comes out, um, particularly the ones that are you know positively received when it comes to drinking the coffee. Um, but on the other hand, because it's got all of those materials, it can actually negatively impact the scaling on your machine. So you can get scum build up on the inside just by a process called scale, um, well, a material called scale. So it can have a positive and negative effect, but no, generally it will actually, yeah, you'd have a pretty banging coffee out of Evian. But again, just the stuff, again, if you're in Sydney, the stuff come out of your taps pretty equally good. good and it will protect your boiler as well. Okay. Okay. And then going back to, to the beans, I mean, yeah. working for a company that, you know, sells um, coffee beans. You're also getting into a space where you're selling um, capsules to go into Nespresso machines yes. and things like that. Yes. How different is it when you are making, you know, beans that would go into a traditional grinder um, and a normal machine and then shifting gears to also focus on the capsule market where, you know, again, as we talked about with the machines having an impact on it, yeah. Are you, it, it was, was, does that present a worry or anything like that as you're going through that process to make sure you're still living up to the, to the hype of the brand name while delivering it through you know, a much cheaper machine and, and process? 
Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting and actually quite a complex question. I think, look, if I give a simple answer, it would just boil down to, you know, at the end of the day, coffee is a food product and, you know, flavor flavor always comes first. Whatever, whatever numbers we put around machines, whatever kind of ingredients we put in there, we need to be able to tune it. By the way, when I say ingredients, obviously we're talking about pure coffee here. We don't put anything extra into our coffee pods. Um, but, you know, when, you, when you're developing any product, it just a lot of it just at the end of the day comes down to testing, testing, testing. I mean, you know, in a pod, the challenge is that you're using a lot less coffee per dose than you typically would use at a cafe. So for reference, pods typically contain between four and six grams of coffee. Um, we're on the higher end of that spectrum. Um, and in a cafe, you generally get about 21 grams in the same kind of dose. Um, so, I mean, again, it, it comes down to tuning the grind so that you can get the flavor profile that you really like. In our case, we tried about, I think it was nine different blends and different grind profiles within each blend to eventually nail down the flavor we wanted. But once we got there, it was, we, we were happy. And just on that piece around, around the actual um, size of the dose, how does that impact the amount of caffeine that's in yep. a coffee as well? Do I get a, a stronger hit from... Um, you know, using beans and through a, a traditional coffee machine, or, or as you say, from a from a cafe, yep. compared to a capsule. It's a you know again, that's a funny it's a funny question. I would I actually haven't measured the two, believe it or not. Um, okay. uh, I would say because you're using literally four times less coffee in your pod, you would necessarily be getting less caffeine out. But it's an interesting one because when you extract coffee, you typically only extract about twenty percent of the caffeine that is inside the coffee. Um, so there's 80% caffeine remaining inside the coffee unextracted. So if you were using a pod, say, and just kept the, co- kept the machine running, you would continuously extract caffeine. So you'd have a higher caffeine level and an absolute level concentration below, but it, you know, so you'd get more extraction that way. So I guess, you know, the answer is after all saying all that, it depends, but I would say in a pod, you'd be getting less caffeine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then for me, you know, shopping around for, for coffee, it's almost a bit of a, a, a bit of a lucky bag type experience where I might go to a cafe, I have a coffee from there and I go, that was pretty good. If they sell their beans, I might take it with me. Um, or sometimes you're at a store and you're literally looking at it like you're shopping a bookstore. You, you, you tend to judge a lot of bags of beans by by looking at the cover and yeah. saying, well, that's a nice picture. A picture. I resonate with that. Yep. I'm going to go take that one home. How do you recommend people shop for beans? I mean, there's, there's probably mm. more to look at than just a, a pretty picture on the front. Honestly, I think what you first were first um, were first suggesting, I think going into a cafe that makes a good cup of coffee and then buying the beans from them, knowing that that's the potential the coffee could reach, um, I think that's probably the best way. Again, everyone's flavor is different. Like we we ourselves at Seven Miles, we got what we got at least nine blends that you can choose from more actually, um, and they all have been designed with a very different flavor profile in mind. So as a roaster, I could recommend it. We actually have a flavor. We actually have a blend selector in our um, our wholesale site. Oh, sorry, on our retail site. Um, right. that allows you to pick based on the kinds of coffee you like to drink because that's how we've, we've designed the coffees. Um, so in terms of selecting a profile, I think it, the best bet actually is to experience the coffee at a cafe that you enjoy the coffee of, buy the beans from there. Um, alternatively, if, if possible, look at the flavor notes um, on a coffee. There's normally a recipe and a flavor note go along with it. Um, try and hit that at home and you'll get pretty close to what you're, you're hoping for in your coffee. Those are the things I'd be looking for. I like that. And, and it's so true that one of the descriptions or words that I always look for in a description of flavor notes is chocolate. Yeah. If, I, if I hear that at the end of it, which tends to be quite common or, or caramel, um, I tend to get pretty excited thinking, yeah, this sounds like something I've had before. And um, usually it turns out to be pretty, pretty spot on, which is, which is a good thing. And, and it's funny, I, I was just saying before we started recording that I discovered I have been you know, drinking Seven Miles uh, coffee and it wasn't because 
of of us having this conversation. It was that I was at a cafe in Castle Hill and they were using Seven Miles and that's where I bought my bag from to to continue on. And does does Seven Miles sort of find that kind of way of acquiring customers quite common? Um, in terms of, you mean from a retail perspective, people coming from a cafe saying, let's buy some beans from there now. Yeah. Liked it. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I don't actually have the numbers offhand, but I think mm. in all truth, I think it's the way most people are getting there. What was that try before you buy type model? I think it's the right way of doing it. I mean, yeah. it's why, why supermarkets hand out free samples. Not that, mind you, maybe we should hand out some free samples, but you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, I, I think that that's the way it should. But again, I'm not, this may sound horrible, I'm not privy to those numbers necessarily, but I would say it's a wise way of purchasing coffee. And just, and just with that too, while, while we're on this, this, this topic of sort of going to cafes and, and tasting coffees there, what, what I do find interesting sometimes is the barista behind the machine can make a huge yeah. difference. Yep. Um, where I, I might go there and think this was an amazing coffee. The next day I could go and it's a different person there and it doesn't taste anywhere near as good yep. is that is that is that a risk sometimes that you're thinking well you know our, our brand is on the bag um mm. and here we are relying on the barista to still make it as good as we want them to yeah look it's they say that 40 percent of the value of a cup of coffee you know is added in the final 30 seconds of its lifespan um and i absolutely agree with that I, you know i think a good barista can can make a sorry, a good barista can make a, a bad coffee absolutely palatable, and a bad barista can make an amazing coffee undrinkable. Um, you're absolutely right. So yeah, I mean the barista does make a difference. I mean obviously some of the work we're trying to do at Seven Miles, a lot of the technologies that have been, I guess, that are being developed by a whole lot of manufacturers center around trying to get consistency as good as possible. So once once the head barista, for example, has found a flavor profile that they like. They can dial a recipe and all these automated tools around them. They can dial in all those settings to try and reproduce that as consistently as possible to effectively minimize that kind of natural variance you'd have, say, of 10 years ago. Um, so that I would say that nowadays, in most good cafes, the risk of, number one, a bad barista, and number two, of a significant difference between baristas at the same shop uh, is, is lower. Um, okay. Yeah. And then thinking about, you know, bringing that home and, you know, for most people, they buy the one machine because they think it's it's the right one for them or it meets their budget, um, yeah. looks easy to use, whatever the case may be. Yeah. The machine itself, once once you bring it home, yeah. you can go and buy any bag of beans and throw it in there. But the, the coffee that the machine produces is really up to the machine because so yeah. many machines now just are so hands off, whether it's fully automatic or, or, or a capsule based and things like that. Is there is is there things that we should be looking for in a coffee machine when we're thinking about you know buying our next our next machine? There, how do we make sure that we're going to get something that can be as close as possible yeah. um, to to that cafe experience? Look, I mean, the, the only way of getting as close to a cafe experience as possible is to use a cafe grade machine uh, and and grinder, I should say. To be honest, most of the the flavor and the ability to control flavor in a machine comes down to the ability of the machine to do a good grind. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that's echoed in plenty of, plenty of websites around, but it's, it's hundred percent true. Um, so look, I think if you want to get a cafe flavor, you have to use again, like for example, Lamazoco linear mini, which is basically a single group scaled down commercial machine to home use. Now it costs an awful yeah. lot of money, more than $5,000. That's just for the machine. Wow. And then to get a really good grinder. I mean, I want to say a good grinder typically, and this varies typically you're looking at it like between, you know, $500 plus. Um, you know, it's not, it's not cheap, but I will, I will say this. I mean, I actually quite literally have been playing the last few days, um, with one of the DeLonghi automatics and, you know, 
five years ago, I would say the automatic belonging machines for home, you know, you get something that's caffeinated and tastes like coffee out. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised. It only took a couple of small tweaks to the machine to get something that I would say was, you know, for me, absolutely acceptable. Um, I'd be happy to, you know, considering it took five seconds or not five seconds, 15 seconds to make. Um, I was, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was thoroughly impressed. Like technology is getting better and better. And I think, you know, in the wake of COVID, I think machine manufacturers have seen the opportunity for at home coffee, coffee, um, coffee making. And I, I just think every year machines are getting better and better. It's, 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 I was, like I said, very pleasantly surprised. So in terms of how you select it, if you want the best experience, you have to use fresh beans. You have to use as close as possible to commercial grade systems. And again, there are lots of reviews online. It sounds like you yourself have, had you know, reviewed plenty of machines. Um, yeah. You know, lots of those reviews are available. But again, other you know automatic machines are getting better and better as well. So, um. and and you mentioned um, a Delonghi fully automatic machine, and it's funny because I've got one that was sent to me last week. It's the Prima Donna Soul. Is is that the oh, same no, machine? You're, you're, you're that's the same one. Yeah, there you go. Okay, okay. So I wanted I wanted to ask you about this as well because <laughs> this machine comes with what they're calling Bean Adapt technology, where you use your phone to tell the coffee machine, um, you know, what kind of beans you've got in there, whether it's a dark roast, um, where it's where the beans have come from, and things like that. Yep. Did you notice that particular change made a difference? to the coffee that it was producing? It's funny you bring that up because that's the one thing I didn't get to work on my machine. <laughs> I, I tried to use the app to try and get it to work. And it, it just for my case, I don't want, you know, not a, you know, kind of broadcast, but it didn't work for my particular example. I literally just manually dialed it in based on what I thought a good coffee should be out of the machine. And I was okay. using a medium roast coffee. Look, I think it's an intelligent way of moving forward. I, yeah. still, I still think all these things are a rough approximation. Um, I'll be honest. Interesting. Uh, it, it's, and- yeah. And I will, I will say that I couldn't get the app to work with the machine either okay. until I registered an account. I, tr- I thought I could skip registration through the app and yeah. just go straight to, con- to finding the machine. And the app wouldn't even find the coffee machine until I registered an account yeah. and then actually discovered it and I could, I could use it. So I don't know if that's something to, um, for, for you to try later on. It could have been. I did register, but it may be that my validation didn't work anyway. That's you know, yeah. details, but yeah, either way. But at the same time, it was that machine and I, that machine, I did get a very good coffee out of it without even using the Bean Adapt technology. I think I just, what did I do? I think I decreased I decreased the grind size by one notch and increased the aroma score by one notch, which I'm pretty sure is a temperature thing. Um, yes. yeah. So then that that was more than enough to get something I tried. I was like, oh, that's that's quite delicious. Um, I like that. And, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm glad that you've mentioned this too, because whenever I've you know, normally tested fully automatic machines, I tend to be pretty disappointed by an espresso from from yeah. the machine because it usually comes quite watery. Um, yeah. I, I try and play with the basic on-screen settings that I can change, but it's very it's very limited in what you can do because I guess they want it to be a hands-off experience. Mm. Um, I usually am much more satisfied with even those semi-automatic machines where it might have the grinder built in as well, where you yes. sort of do a bit of tamping yourself. Yes. Um, I think I think the Breville Oracle is one example. Yes. Delonghi has a, a similar product as well. Yep. Um, how and obviously you're now seeing the differences here. The biggest change that I'm noticing now, and and you've experienced with with the challenges of the app, is Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, yeah. Yeah. apps coming yeah. onto coffee machines. Do you think this is a, a helpful, or, no. or or is this is this is this just an interesting trend that you're noticing? Look, I, it's one that I'm always wary of when it comes to looking at location services, for example. Like, you know, why do you need to know the location of my machine? Um, I, you know, I look at that. It's a, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, maybe it's leading to a conversation for what we're doing with with our cafe partners soon. But uh, always very wary when it comes to people knowing everything about everything that I'm doing. Um, 
I just, you know, I don't know why a machine needs to do that. I'm not sure that the machine needs an app. As I said before, I didn't actually need the app to get actually quite a stunning coffee out of there. Really, it's the hardware that dictates um, the quality of the taste experience that comes out, at least as far as I'm I'm concerned. I mean, some control systems are important, of course, but um, yeah, I I don't think it's particularly helpful, especially seeing as the amount of effort DeLonghi's have gone, DeLonghi, for example, have gone to with their touchscreen technology. I think it's more than intuitive um, and a, a good self-contained unit. I, I'm not sure how helpful they are. Yeah, and, and look, from, from my experience, even one of the interesting parts of being able to start a coffee from your phone yes. after you've already had to manually turn it on, <laughs> let it rinse, and put the cup then place the cup underneath it. <laughs> yeah. You've got a few steps which you're doing right in front of the machine. You were just there. You, have you know, to, to walk there. away from it just to use your phone to trigger the coffee. Yeah. It seems a bit a bit of a gimmick. Maybe it entertains people at dinner parties or something like that. Yes. But, um, yeah, right. No, I, I agree with that analysis for sure. And and you you're sort of just touching on on a second ago the the work you're doing with cafes. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you're helping with that perfect pour? Yeah, well, exactly. So we just a little while ago. Well, actually, it's funny that I don't know if I told. It won't be a long story, but a couple of years ago, we were we were toying around with the idea in, at uh, the, the education or well, the science education center. We we're toying around with the idea of placing a technology into the group heads of machines that could beam back basically the pulse count from the flow controller, which I know this is technical speak, but you know, but basically beaming back the electrical signals from the group head, and then we could then process that data and determine how close to a recipe um, that coffee that was just poured was. And you know, yeah. if you know how close that recipe was to the recipe you're, you're going for, you could then determine what you need to change real time um, to get it back to that that recipe. You know, in other words, recipe being a, an you know an approximation for the ideal flavor. Um, and then about a year later, um, we, we were introduced to a company in New Zealand, a startup called Flow, um, who had done exactly that. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, let's get on that for sure. Uh, and now we're integrating that with the backend analysis um, that we're doing sort of at Seven Miles, which is sort of where the, the full perfect poor product comes into it, um, to basically assist cafes in understanding, you know, how well are they pouring the coffee real time? At the end of a given day, how well do they perform across that given day at the end of a week? You know, what things would we recommend to, to change to get you back to a good coffee? Um, you know, you can look at full flow profiles, all that kind of jazz. Basically, it's telemetry for, for the coffee world um, that'll enable, hopefully, and it's our, our greatest hope that we'll have a great level of consistency um, within every cafe partner that we're working with. And then in doing that, by providing that, that feedback to yeah. a cafe and then obviously to a, to a barista, does that create conflict sometimes where the barista thinks they are making the bee's knees coffee already and here yeah. you're sort of giving suggestions around changes or tweaks they, that they should be making? Well, it's a funny one. It's a two-way street in that kind of thing, right? Because, I mean, this is the thing we found with, with, apply, with you know, rolling out a technology like this. It's communication needs to be from person to person to sort of understand, okay, for example, this coffee, we can see that, Based on the recipe that we have on record for you, um, you're you're only hitting it at sixty percent of the time. You know, is it mm. is it that you're dialing into a recipe that's different from the one that we have on record, um, or is it actually that you know you're trying to hit it, but there's something happening in your cafe that needs to be controlled to get you back to that consistency score? Because at the end of the day, there are there are numbers and numbers, but it comes down to taste, right? So having that communication, that two-way communication, will enable us to understand, okay, what is the recipe that's required here? Do we need to be updated? It? And on their part, sort of like, okay, well, now I know, you know, my roaster understands, I shouldn't say this sounds horrible, like, you know, I'm getting some support from my roaster to sort of understand, yes, this is the recipe we should be trying to hit. And then, you know, trying to hit that score, you know, a greater consistency score. You know, it's actually, I have to say, it's actually been very positive 
Um, there's not much negativity around it per se. Or nothing but work no, I, so far. I, I, I really like like hearing that too because I think it, probably depending on on the industry, you know, people who think that they're an expert in a particular field receiving feedback can be a really hard thing yes. for them to take. And yes, um, and I mean the best part here is that if anything, that barista is going to be busier if they're producing better coffees. They're going to have more people coming back and and things like that. So I guess you know the feedback you're providing is really to only help them, not to um not to replace them or anything like that. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think at the end of the day, it's it's. It becomes a challenge and a target. I mean, most people sort of see it as a way of sort of gamifying the industry in a sense. It's kind of like once you've got this target to try and hit, like to, I'll be honest, when it, most of the scores that we get on a fresh install of this kind of technology, even the best cafes, our own cafe um, that we run out directly out of the roastery was only hitting 65% consistency. Within, I think, three weeks, they were hitting 85%, which I consider a very, very good score considering all the things that can change across the given day. And it can, by the way, that's the thing. We get the data on that to know that at 10 a.m. every single day, everywhere in Australia, um, everyone's coffee goes a bit out of whack. Um, Interesting. And there's a, you know, so that's the kind of data we get back. And also, by the way, it's not that we just keep, we share it. And that data is freely available to anyone who's, who's signed up, who's, you know, part of the program. Um, and, you know, you can adjust for that and you can predict it. So that's, that's the thing. You're still using a degree of human you know, at the end of the day, again, as we say, it comes down to taste. You know, someone's got to be able to taste it and determine what the changes they're making, if they make sense. No machine can do that yet. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the, the fact that you guys are bringing in some data from, from different cafes and things like that, are you noticing you know, now that people are starting to go back to work that cafes are getting busier and the numbers are starting to come back up? Is that, is that something that you're seeing on your end? Well, what we've actually seen is that the, I think coffee has been, depending on where you are, you know, you've either done better or worse. I mean, we kind of have weathered the storm pretty well at seven miles because a lot of the, our partners are in um, are in suburban areas which have just boomed. I mean, people, That's people, it, it seems like everyone's always needed coffee. You know, the CBD area, absolutely, they've suffered, yeah. and you know, no, no surprising and, and unfortunately, you know, we've tried our best to do whatever support we can, but it's it the suburban areas have just you know they've gone gangbusters. I would say it's just been a redistribution of of um, you know of coffee served into yeah again into local areas which is great i mean yeah you know that sense of community in the area that you live um you know i can only see that being a good thing but again we also hope to see that you know with relaxing restrictions and all those things i'm looking forward to seeing when you know the you know the partners we have that are in the city um or in the cities uh, we're, we're hoping that that comes back stronger or as strongly as it was before or better so, agreed yeah. agreed and and look, I have to ask. I mean, I'm a I'm a double espresso in the morning and then another one in the afternoon. Um, mm. Yet when I go to bed, I, I fall asleep within minutes. I don't feel like I have trouble sleeping or anything like that. It's just what I what I do to keep me going. Yep. How much how much coffee is too much? Because when I tell people I have two double espressos a day, some people panic. Yeah, right. Um, look, I I think it's I think it, you know when you start on your uh, what did I say coffee journey. And that's yep. too, too average. But when you start on a coffee journey, you always start with like a coffee, probably a weak coffee, probably something with caramel added in it. And eventually you try and get more coffee in it. You remove the caramel. You love the taste of the coffee. It grows, it grows. And you eventually, like someone like me as well, I'm doing like basically three double espressos effectively a day. Um, okay. Look, you're about, your body is remarkable, is remarkable. I mean, it has the ability to adjust itself to be able to tolerate whatever it is you're trying to throw at it. I mean, obviously to a point, right? Hmm. So when you say how much coffee is too much coffee, from the research that we've found, um, it seems like eight, uh, I would say eight double espressos, four double espressos seems to have zero impact on your heart health, which is the biggest impact that you, or the most mm. boring impact you could possibly have and beyond, yeah. I think even, I think to eight double espressos seems to be, 
feeling negligible. Um, but again, you know, everyone's body is different and everyone's mileage may vary. You know, you don't want to go from zero coffees to eight double espressos a day. I think that you'll, you'll find yourself having some issues. You know, you, yes. I mean, you know, just think about the studies that I've read, you know, for example, you know, coffee is a known, you know, is a known diuretic. So you need to go to the bathroom more frequently mm. um, when you drink coffee. But over time, its ability to be a diuretic is severely diminished. Um, you know, there's, I think it was a study on calcium levels um, in terms of calcium levels excreted over time. And then people who are regular coffee drinkers basically had none. And people that had just started drinking coffee had a lot. Um, really? And it was an indicator of that diuretic impact. Um, it's also why caffeine headaches are there. Your body, you know, so uh, espresso is a, is a vasoconstrictor. So in other words, it narrows blood vessels. If you, you know, your body, therefore, to minimize that impact when it's used to having coffee actually dilates the blood vessels to prepare itself for caffeine consumption. And it knows at which time of day you normally have oh, caffeine. Wow. So if you don't have that coffee that you've been having for the last three years at that time of day, yep. you know, your blood vessels are now dilated, but they don't have any opposing effect to happen. So you actually start getting a caffeine headache um, from that. Yeah. And you would, I mean, you, you should, yeah. and that's the science shows that. Um, so that's kind of where it comes from, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And it's, and it's so interesting. Sometimes in the afternoon, I'll, I'll be talking to my wife and I'll be like, I've got a really sore head and you know, it's been a pretty normal day. And I go, hang on, I haven't had my afternoon coffee. And it's just, it's sometimes a, a terrible way to get reminded about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I definitely, I definitely do notice that. But and, and spe- speaking of things like this, and, and I'd probably love to sort of bust some myths with you about coffee. Sure. Um, I feel like I'm talking to the right person to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, look, the first one I've, I've got here is that decaf coffee yep. is not caffeine free. No, that's true. Um, absolutely true. So decaf coffee depends on the process been used to extract the caffeine, but you tend to find anywhere between, well, typically it's about 5%, anywhere between one and 10% residual caffeine is still inside that coffee. Okay. So those who say, oh, it's okay. I drink decaf, not necessarily, um, a hundred percent without caffeine. Yeah. Get no caff. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> and, um, coffee helps you lose weight. Yep. Uh, huh. so there are a few things around that. Yes, with an if, no, with a but. Um, coffee directly doesn't specifically help you lose weight, but it does change the met- metabolic pathway for, and it selectively chooses a fat-burning metabolic pathway over a sugar-burning pathway. Um, okay. So actually having an espresso will actually help your body, will, will actually start transforming the way that you metabolize in, you know, your body you know, and nutrients into energy by burning the fat rather than the sugar. Um, so yes, I suppose in that sense, it can help you lose weight, but, uh, in terms of the relative proportion of people, I haven't actually seen a study over six months of people only drinking coffee and, you know, I I haven't seen the results of that, but that's, that is actually a documented, um, that is a documented fact. So whether it helps you lose fat, whether it helps you lose weight or not, not so sure, but it does certainly help you burn fat. Hmm. And I, know, and I think just, just on that too, I mean, for me, if I have one before I go to the gym, I'm going to have a better workout at the gym because I've got more energy. So, yep. you know, if you, if you want to link those two together, then maybe there's a yes in that. But yep. um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a sh- short string to pull. Yep. Um, coffee at a young age can stunt your growth. Yeah, they say that people younger than 14 uh, shouldn't drink it because it can stunt your growth. I think there is some scientific evidence to suggest that it could. Um, mm-hmm. But I think over the age of 14, and the other reason I only asked that question, we had a a, guy, a wonderful, a wonderful guy working at Seven Miles, um, fourteen years old, who who did drink coffee. I was like, ooh, 
<laughs> it's, it's actually got to do with um, calcium excretion. Um, so I talked about before caffeine being diuretic. Yeah. Calcium was an indicator, you know, during excretion. That So, yes, I mean, you know, calcium does get excreted if you're not used to drinking coffee or just starting to drink coffee when drinking it. So it, as, how bad is it for you? Um, I, again, longitudinal studies, often it's hard to say. It's just there is a correlation between those two things. It can have an impact. Um, so I would definitely not advise people on the age of 14 drinking coffee or starting to drink coffee until a bit okay. later. Okay. Now tell me, um, all coffee beans have the same amount of caffeine? No, that's – oh. Well, the answer to that – I mean, the broad, broad answer to that is no. I mean, Arabica – Robusta coffees have twice the amount of caffeine uh, to Arabica coffees. Um, oh. But in terms of – but that's in terms of the raw green bean. I mean – Normally, right. with a blend, if you were to roast that same blend, light, medium, and dark, turns out the amount of extracted caffeine is identical between light, medium, and dark roasted coffee. So caffeine doesn't get destroyed by roasting. Um, and in terms of the ability of caffeine to extract, it doesn't seem to be heavily influenced between light, medium, and dark roasts. So same, yeah, that's what... So, so, so just on what you were saying before... Um... Were you saying that, that Robusta has twice as much caffeine yeah. as Arabica? Yeah. I mean, go to Vietnam, you'll discover that. Um, <laughs> they, they are the world's you know, Robusta group. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> Second largest coffee producer in the world, um, ex almost exclusively Robusta. Um, wow. You go to Vietnam, get a, get a bag of coffee. Um, mm. All that sugar they pump in there, my gosh, delicious but deadly. It's, <laughs> uh, that'll, that'll send you for a... I, I, once had, I once had a colleague, um, I think he was Vietnamese, he came back from, from Asia at some point and he brought back these little sachets of, of coffee yep. and um, it will, I, I'm pretty sure I could see through walls after having it. It was, <laughs> it was wild. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, that's, that's robust for you. And, you know, there are plenty of blends. We have a blend that's about, I think it's between, I probably can't give away how much robust is in it. It's less than, it's less than 15%. And it was designed okay. to have a very specific um, Italian note. Um, to it, which it very much does. It's some our Tatsina Cafe blend. Um, excellent, very clean coffee. Um, but yeah, Robusta adds a, a huge amount of punch. In fact, if you want to have a coffee that really cuts through milk, if you really like that coffee flavor in milk specifically, I mean, Robusta, that'll, that delivers in spades. And, and is it true that coffee dehydrates you? Yeah. Straight out. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, it's, you know, it, for sure. Again, that, that goes to link back to the diuretic effect. The ability for it to dehydrate you the more you drink of it, you know, when your body develops the tolerance, again, it will dehydrate you less, but it definitely does. And exactly one of the reasons that espresso martinis are, are particularly, there are multiple reasons why espresso martinis, as delicious as they are, are you know, you don't want to drink too many of them. Um, because, I mean, first factor, you, won't, you don't notice yourself getting drunk because of the impact of caffeine. So yeah. you don't know that you're actually being affected, though you are. Uh, and it dehydrates you, so the hangover would be much more intense. Interesting. Interesting. They are delicious, though. No, I know. Um, Look, I, wouldn't, I don't say don't drink them. <laughs> just be, uh, you know, be wise. And um, and what about the fact that you should consume a bag of beans without two within two weeks? Is that is that a, a true statement? Um, it's true to a point. I mean, for example, we have two different. We we package coffees two ways at, at Seven Miles. One of them is just a straight hand pack. Um, a lot of our specialty coffees are done like that, and they degas a lot faster. And for those coffees, I would say, you know, drink them after five days old, five days from roast because you don't, that's basically when it releases a really happy equilibrium point. CO2 is no longer really coming off the beans in any significant amount, which can affect the extraction. Um, and within two weeks, yep, you know, I won't say fresh is best because again, that five day period, I'd say neglect that. Um, but after five days, yep, you know, sooner seems to be better. 
gas flush coffees like we have with a lot of our a lot of our blends they they actually can last they it, nitrogen has an amazing ability to 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 lock in that freshness so we've actually found that you can have it within 6 months it actually takes about a week and a half for it to reach peak flavor and that really? flavor seems to be maintained for a very very long time um so but again so most most coffees you will find on the shelf um will not be gas flushed as far as i know um so yes if you can drink it i'd say honestly within four weeks i'd say it's pretty safe um okay. we've definitely found stale notes in most coffees um that have not been gas flushed six weeks and beyond without the bag being opened ever um really oh, so even even without opening the bag yeah that's actually still got a bit of a, a bit of a ticking time bomb on the bag anyway yeah so it's a it's a funny one it, it seems like the main it's interesting the the chemical responsible for the fresh flavor in coffee is the exact same molecule responsible for the stale flavor in coffee um it's just in different amounts and it's actually a radical decomposition reaction that happens regardless of whether there's oxygen or not um it, it will eventually when it's Produced, I think it, I can't remember the off the top of my head what the liver. I think it's like when it goes from twenty part per million to, sorry, ten part per million to twenty part per million concentration. That's when it switches from, you know, that might you know that minuscule the amount of concentration that makes that kind of difference. You know, it's 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 remarkable. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, so that that can happen. It doesn't mean the coffee's bad for you. It's just it's not saying it. Well, you know, I, maybe I should hesitate in saying that. You know, your body is a very smart me- mechanism. It's got a lot of mechanisms in there. If something tastes stale, you tend to not want to drink it. And there are reasons your body is trying to say, don't do it. Um, Interesting. Years of evolution, I guess, forced that. But uh, Okay. Yeah. It's not talking. Uh, wow. <laughs> no, look, I, I mean, even just a lot, of the, a lot of the things through this conversation, I think there's, gosh, if, if anyone listening to this hasn't learned something today, I think um, they just haven't listened because it's been even for me, I'm just blown away by some of these things today. It's great. I mean, I've got a, now, I've got, look, I've got a wonderful job. I love doing what I do. <laughs> but it, it sounds like it because otherwise you, you wouldn't be able to talk about it. It's um, anyway, yeah. really awesome. I, I have to ask seven questions that, um, that we ask everybody who comes on the show uh, before you do go. And um, they are a bit more tech related in some ways that they're, they're not as well. But what is your favorite app to keep you organized? <laughs> no, I don't. I like to maintain a decent degree of chaos in my life. <laughs> So, so on the flip side, you're just energized through coffee to make sure you can get through all of your unorganized work. Coffee, coffee is the yeah. <laughs> I use purely organic means to keep myself organized. I like that. I yeah. like that. And what would be your favorite social media app? Uh, yeah, I, I hate to say. It. I mean, Facebook is. Pro- I wouldn't say favorite, but it's probably the only one I really, really use. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you do get five minutes to spare between meetings, uh, assuming assuming you have a lot of meetings in your job, it's, I, I may be yeah. completely wrong. Uh, what would be the first thing that you do on your phone? Oh, honestly, it's normally checking my email. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's, uh, it's my job and all the different things that I'm sort of doing at the time. I tend to not have a lot of downtime at work, so yeah. I know normally it's just on to the next thing, researching what the next what the next piece of technology is and what the next you know what, what's the next thing out there. Yeah, fair call. Yeah. Fair call. And do you wear a smartwatch or a traditional timepiece? Uh, traditional watch. Maybe you can get that coming for all the answers, but uh, I've got my mechanical watch on my wrist for sure. Yeah, cool. Um, and there's nothing for me, honestly. There's nothing wrong with that. I think um, you know, while I enjoy smartwatches and I enjoy trying out different models, um, a lot of times I'm looking looking back at a normal traditional timepiece just because I just want something that tells the time that looks good and doesn't need to be recharged every few days. Well, there's that. Um, there's also, I just don't like the. No- it's just the notifications, mate. It's like I get so many notifications in my life. I like to be able to look at the time without being told I need to do something else. <laughs> I like that. That's a good point. Yeah. And when we did used to jump on airplanes and fly around the place, would you uh, use the in-flight entertainment system or bring your own tablet? Uh, actually, 
it's normally the in-flight in the in-flight uh, entertainment system, something different from what I'm always doing. Yeah, good yeah. idea. And, and what do you love to do to disconnect? How do you get away from coffee? I mean, is that is that even a thing? No, I, my coffee pretty much permeates my entire life. Um, <laughs> I would say I have tea in the evenings. <laughs> um, that's that's sort of still. I guess it's still caffeinated, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, what do I do to relax? I guess go. I, I ride my bike. Yeah, cool. Yeah, off 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 road or um, no, I'm a roadie. I'm one of those guys. That's okay. So I got into it before it was like a thing. But again, <laughs> maybe everyone claims that. I don't know. <laughs> and and look, um, if we were sitting down together, we're obviously virtual today. Yeah. Um, whether at a bar or cafe, what would be your go-to? A favorite drop, favorite drink? I mean, favorite. your default answer could be coffee, obviously. But no, well, I mean, look, I mean, honestly, just a you know a good premium beer. I'll be honest, is what I would normally prefer to drink at, at a bar. Um, Do you have any favorites? Oh, any favorites? Oh, look, to be honest with you, I mean, I used to. I I I what is it? I rue the day that the um, the Belgian beer cafe left left Sydney. I love basically any any beer that comes from Belgium or any of those those mm. those abbeys there. Gosh, I miss that. But uh, no, at the moment, I mean, what? Well, I'd say normally if there's a Stella on there or some from the local microbreweries, if there's something on tap there, it always has to be on tap for sure. So fresh is best. Yeah. Going, yep. Um, in terms of at a cafe, uh, strong flat white. That's actually my my go to beverage. I'm not a not as much an espresso drinker. I like my if it's filter, good filter on, I'll have that. But um, typically, yeah, strong flat white's my go to at most cafes. Interesting, interesting. Well, mate, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've um, I've I've learned a bunch. I'm going to go and have another coffee. I think it's um, it is around that time of day for me. But thank you again for coming on. My pleasure.